of beings might also be listening somehow you're tuned into interverse season three episode 16 my name is chance and i'm incredibly happy you decided to join this conversation today because we really need you on team truth what this show is seeking to do if you're new to it is assist you as you intentionally and consciously guide the evolution of your thoughts speech and behaviors so that you can live in love to your highest potential I'm speaking of our true higher self, the part of our being that is unchanged from the burdens of fear and all the negative creations that result from it. I think we're all here to learn about the rules that govern creation and assist others in doing the same so that we can begin to consciously take responsibility for creating a better world and transforming that which was created out of fear into something that serves the purpose of love and expresses its highest potential. And that goes for every type of institution that's a fear-based institution that's out there right now. Journalism is something that has been largely degraded into a fear-based institution. But our guest today, James Corbett, is definitely an example of the change that's needed in that creative medium. Creative and analytical thinking is really super necessary to be able to properly research and understand some of the complex issues that we face here on planet Earth. And James and I talk about our shared backgrounds in this episode in terms of uh, studying English and literature and the ability to analyze information and see the symbolic connection between things and how that's important to being able to deal with the information overload that we're all immersed in right now. A lot of the confusion about controversial topics that mainstream media loves to use as dividing points between the population, it's complicated more as a result of deliberate obscuring tactics by those who have the money to manipulate the media, more than it is that the truth is really complicated. Usually the truth is pretty simple, and it just takes a lot of digging sometimes to get to the truth on some issues, but... Our guest today, James, he's he has used the freedom provided by the internet to beam out super balanced, harmonious, nonpartisan truth lasers directly into the calcified pineal glands of internet surfing truth seekers. And I would like to say he's probably blown a lot of minds with his truth lasers. He's been making videos for almost as long as YouTube has been around, I I think. And in my experience with his work, which I came across earlier this year, he is extremely straightforward and balanced in his approach. He always backs up what his videos are reporting with research, and I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you not to simply take his word on anything, or mine, because it's obvious to anyone paying attention to the state of things lately that the disinformation is winning a lot of battles in people's hearts and minds. And, you know, that spreading of the seeds of fear leads to deepening states of mistrust and separation. The chaos that we're seeing unfold, though, it's not really as scary as people think that it is. Chaos actually is a result of a certain level of freedom means a certain level of chaos is going to exist. But 
what it really is right now, how things are seeming to just speed up and get crazier. I think the vibration of truth is in some form creating a wave from source that is, you know, like a tsunami of truth in a non-physical sense, but it's an energy and it's resonating throughout the entire unified field of consciousness and gradually shaking up everything that doesn't match its vibration. So illusions that our society builds and subscribes to that are created on foundations of fear or control uh, or any choice that we make personally out of fear can really only bring us more fear. And now more than ever, I think we're seeing the direct results of that in our day-to-day lives and in society at large, if you look at, I mean, you can't not get inundated with the propaganda. It's like, do you watch the news? No, but if you even log into Facebook, you see like all the crazy negative propaganda right there on the sidebar. So I try to stay off of it. But anyway, the signal of truth that I described, I think it's getting stronger and faster and that's what's shaking things up more and more. But if we align ourselves with correct information that informs our behavior so that our creations bring us more truth and health and are helpful to others and amplify love instead of fear, then we're not going to have anything to worry about with the truth wave because we'll already, you can't be hurt by something that you are, right? I mean, it wouldn't make sense. I probably should wrap up this here rambling introduction. I love you guys though. Thanks for listening. You really make it all worth it because otherwise I would just be a guy talking into a microphone. Well, other than this conversation I had with James, which was honestly, I would have been stoked to have it. Even if I wasn't making a podcast, it was really, really useful to me as a creator to get his perspective as an experienced person. And I know you're going to like the episode, but before we get to it, why don't you consider doing a tiny little favor for me and subscribing to the podcast on iTunes through the podcast app if you are an iPhone user. And while you're there, just take a few moments and leave a five-star review for the podcast, which I use to power my time machine. And I need 300 more stars for that time machine to work. So several of you can just leave five-star reviews with no need for text or a subject or a description. Just Give me those stars and you'll help other people wind up finding this podcast that are looking for information of this type because the more reviews the podcast gets, the higher it's ranked on iTunes. Somehow there's a magic algorithm and you guys can help boost us. So please consider doing that. Only take you a few seconds and I love you. It's great that you're listening. One more thing to remind you of is everything that I've talked about in the podcast up to this point and in our conversation with James is going to be linked and when appropriate in the episode show notes. So jump in there. You'll see some links to particular videos that I think are good by James. And also you can find a link to patreon.com forward slash interverse, which is a place where you can crowdfund things that you like and creators that you are in alignment with. So if you're interested in seeing some of the rewards that are available there and supporting this show for as little as a dollar a month, which would be really helpful and especially because I need to get a new webcam. I need to get a new computer. I need all kinds of equipment and you guys are really my conduit to that. This show has no advertisement. It's completely listener supported and that's how it's going to stay. So if you can spare a buck, I'd love to have it and I would put it to a good cause. But if you can't spare me a buck, maybe you should give one to James because on Patreon, if you subscribe to Corbett Report, you get access to 
the entirety of his website and all the back articles and things like that for just a dollar a month. So I really recommend him if if uh, you've already got a Patreon account, why not toss a dollar over there? He's a great guy. You're going to love this conversation. I hope I expose you to a lot of his work and, and I hope you enjoy our talk. So um, the last thing I'm going to remind you of is in the episode notes, you'll also find a link to the music that I used in this episode. It's by a producer called Kermode, and you should definitely check out his SoundCloud page and give it a follow. Give Interverse a follow on SoundCloud, too, while you're there. And that's that. Let's go talk to James. Everybody, welcome to the show, James Corbett of the Corbett Report. How's it going, James? It's doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. James is a um, old school YouTube truth teller and really an inspirational person to someone like myself because uh, I I got into this kind of uh, gig sort of in a roundabout way. Started out through journalism in the mainstream, uh, going to college for it type of way and. I hated it so much that I made sure to fail out really quickly and I uh, thought I would never touch anything like journalism again. But um, I think now more than ever, it's actually important that we do it in our own way and we create our grassroots journalism movements. And that's what James has got going on with his uh, YouTube channels and his website. It's quite remarkable the amount of content and research you can provide to people over the course of working on it for several years. Well, thank you for that. And it sounds like we may have come from similar backgrounds because I, I, as people might know, I studied English literature back in my university days and people would always ask me, what are you going to do with your degree? And I hated that question because I didn't know. I was just studying it because I liked it. <laughs> I mean, what are you asking me a practical question like that for? But I knew I'd never be a teacher and I'd never be a journalist, because that's what everyone would assume. Oh, you're going to be a teacher? No. You're going to be a journalist? No. <laughs> what are you going to do? And so uh, somehow or other, I ended up becoming both, first an English teacher here in Japan, and then a journalist of sorts online. Where I, I'm not, I, I, don't, I still don't know what to call what it is that I do, but uh, whatever it is, I guess it's something related to journalism. But it, like yourself, it comes from a disgust and a distaste for mainstream journalism and everything that it represents. And uh, hey, here we are in an age where we can do it ourselves. So let's do it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a convergence of all sorts of things. Your work is like sort of like video blog slash um, uh, slash documentary slash investigative reporting. And yeah, it's amazing what one person can do armed with the power of the entire internet and all the other videos that are already out there. All you have to do is find the visual evidence to go with the uh, argument you're making. And it's, it's, it's crazy how much truth there is available to people and yet how much they ignore it. Is. It is. Let me, let me stress that point because we live in such a remarkable time and I really don't think enough people really understand this, but I feel it. I experience it because what I do, the way that I do what I do, 
would have been unthinkable even a decade ago. I, just think, and YouTube is a decade old now. And that kind of instant access to that incredible repository of information, I mean, even a decade ago, even online would have been unthinkable. And I have a specific example of that because right now I'm working on something. I don't want to jinx it by talking about it too much first, of but it's coming out very soon and it'll be, I hope, impressive. And uh, I'm working on this thing and I'm researching uh, about eugenics and the history of this. And, and I'm reading in this book about uh, this crazy story about this doctor in Chicago that was killing babies and he was put on trial about it. And he's like, well, yeah, of course it's eugenics. I was, you know, this, this kid was going to grow up to be a mental defective. I was just, you know, sparing him from a horrible life and all that. And he ended up getting off because, Hey, it was, it was eugenics, Sarah, and everybody was on board. Um, and this doctor went on to make like fund and write and direct his own silent movie about this. This is in the 19. 20s, I think. Um, and I was reading about this and it just sounds so crazy. He, what, he made a movie about his own story and everything. And so, of course, first thing I do, I just go to YouTube and I just type in the name of this silent movie that I was reading about in this book. And there it is. I can physically watch this movie. You can too. Uh, what's it called? The Black Stork, I think. Um, that was this movie by this guy. This is crazy story. And you'll see more about it when, when this work comes out. But, uh, that's just one example of that, because think about that. Even a decade ago, if I was reading that book and reading about that, that movie, well, I maybe, maybe could have found something like a website online that, that wrote something about it, but actually seeing the movie and then think two or three decades ago, that would have been totally unthinkable. You would have had to physically have the film reel and, or, you know, if they were show, happened to be showing it in your local theater or something, maybe you could go to some screening of it. But now we physically have access to all of this information. It, it is too much for any one person to possibly even comprehend everything that's out there. But millions of us out there that are putting this information together can start to really we have more access to more data than emperors uh, of the past could even have dreamt about. And that is something that really is something. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, again, I see it as, I mean, there are obviously lots of down, downfalls and downsides and pratfalls that we can stumble into in this era of information overload, but there is an opportunity here and it, like so many other things, it's what we make of it. Yeah. Um, the problem is that there's so much information that, I even fall into this problem that when somebody does recommend to you information that's possibly great, you're just like, yeah, I'll put it on my list. I mean, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. yeah. So much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, so, and imagine that from my perspective where I have thousands and thousands of listeners that are sending me stuff every day. I mean, they're every day I'm getting stuff that I'd love to take a look at, but the list keeps getting longer and longer and longer. You know, at a certain point you have to realize I'm just one human. I can't do it all. It's an embarrassment of riches, but what you say is exactly the point. Uh, you can't do it all. We need many more people involved with trying to get to the bottom of things because as, as I've come into, um, I've come through the beginning of my adulthood, it's become more and more clear how many of the things that we're ta uh, taught to take for granted as just facts are super backwards. And although I'm not a flat earther yet, I mean, it, I've, Ultimately, it wouldn't surprise me because everything else is so backwards about what, uh, how you know how things are presented to us in our uh, graduated indoctrination that we call an education system. Um, so, 
I guess I have a question about how you even got started as uh, a truth speaker. What was there any kind of defining event uh, that made you stop and go, I really need to start doing something about this? I, I know that you've got a lot of work on 9-11 and I know you've got, uh, I personally really enjoyed and learned a lot about uh, about the oil industry from your How Big Oil Conquered the World. Um, what, were any of those type of stories catalysts for you? Uh, I guess, I mean, if I had to say what was my gateway drug to conspiracy land, uh, 9-11 would be it. Uh, it was certainly watching documentaries about 9-11 um, back again in the early, early days of YouTube when this first start came up. And uh, I, I wish I could remember specifically that uh, it was this video or something, but it was just an accumulation of things. And I started watching these types of things just kind of out of curiosity, but also kind of out of, oh, this is nonsense. You know, I, I'm sure it's easily debunkable. And then you'd hear something and you'd go and check it and you'd say, oh, I, that's that's actually true or well yeah you know, or, you know French intelligence really did claim to meet with Osama in July of 2001 or whatever oh he really was staying in a hotel in, <laughs> uh, in a hospital in Rawalpindi on 910 uh, under the watchful eye of the, mili- the US military and all of these little facts and it starts to add up and you start to go there's really something here I mean there's uh, genuinely more to this story and uh, for me it's always that 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 moment, uh, I'm not sure what the light bulb moment was, but that moment when I started researching it for myself to try to debunk it and then to try to see what else I could find, that was the process. And that process led me inevitably to the website and where I am today. Because once you get into that, you, I mean, there's no, there's really no putting the brakes on that. Um, There's one thing to sort of let information wash over you, but when you start to actively seek it out, then then I think uh, that changes the paradigm and changes the game. And that's, again, why this technology that allows us to do that so easily is so amazing that I could be sitting in my apartment in Japan and learning about all these things that I could never have even imagined learning about even, you know, if I had access to the Library of Alexandria back in the day. So uh, that that really is... Um, where I started with this. But I mean, there are different ways to think about this because to a certain extent, I mean, what makes me different than another person who might have seen the same documentaries and never really gotten into that or never really started researching that. And there are certain temperamental things about myself as a person, um, not, not wanting, not being satisfied with kind of conventional, with, with dumbing down. I've always had a particular thing against things that are just dumbed down. You know, this is close enough. You know, you get the idea kind of a thing. No, no, no. I want to know how something really works or what it really is about or what, you know, what is that? What is the actual data here? That's always been my driving motive. Just because is not a good enough answer. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and I've always, uh, I mean, it's interesting because in this Alt media space, there's a lot of people who have terrible experiences from their public indoctrination schooling days. I'm not really one of them. I was one of those mostly straight A kind of students that excelled at school, but I, w- I wouldn't say teacher's pet. Uh, I was always the one that would try to challenge what the teacher was saying. Sometimes even if I agreed <laughs> with what he was saying, I would try to challenge it just to see what it was based on. And uh, it's something that strikes me from fourth grade or so. I was maybe nine years old or something. And I remember in class once we were doing a, it was science class and there was some 
I think it was just a thought experiment, like, uh, you know, would this thing float or would it sink kind of thing or something like that. And, and so they did a, like a poll, you know, who thinks it'll float, who thinks it'll sink. And, and uh, I can't remember what it was or what the answer was, but whatever it was, I put my hand up for it will float or something. And it turns out, yes, that was the right answer. It will float. And then immediately I started thinking, well, wait, but wait, shouldn't it sink actually because of da 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 da? So I put my hand up. I'm like, wait, no, this is all wrong. <laughs> and I got made the teacher explain to me exactly why I got it right. Because just getting the answer right wasn't enough. I mean, it's a 50-50 chance. I mean, you could have just guessed it. I wanted to know why that was right. So I think that's something about my temperament that led me along this path. And uh, and and I've always been. I mean, I've always known. There's more to stories like JFK, right? I mean, I always knew it wasn't a lone nut. And I always knew there's something to that. And, and that was just kind of something like, I knew if I scratched the, the paint, uh, the veneer off that surface, I'd see there'd be something underneath, something really important. But for whatever reason, I just never really scratched that itch I until looked the 9 stuff came along. I haven't looked at your JFK information but I would, I, I planned on it. I, you know, that that's one of the, you're yeah, one of those I, things I mean, where you have a great archive that, you know, it ages yeah. well, but if there's one thing that I would point to point people to from the same era, it's your work, uh, interviewing that guy, the guy with the Martin Luther King story, because that was yeah, just yeah. Bill such Pepper. An, yeah, yeah. Oh man. The, it was so obvious, uh, the cabals, uh, connection to, what we considered, what mainstream people just consider the regular mafia. Yeah, the plot to kill King. I, I'll link to this particular video yeah. in the uh, show notes because, I mean, if you have an interest in this kind of thing, I guess if you already have an awareness of the uh, New World Order, maybe, maybe you don't really have to go back and do this kind of research. But for, for me, I like to put the pu- uh, pieces of the puzzle together as well. Yeah, because that's, an, again, that's another thing that I'm sure a lot of people in our generation, um, maybe you know, older folks in this will have already done that kind of research. But for, for people in my generation, again, I always kind of knew, yeah, the government probably did had something to do with MLK, but not really knowing, not really delving into specifics. And then you read this book and literally this is whatever, 40 years of research, just incredible amount of detail. And it's, 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 it's undeniable when you start to go through the actual documented facts from someone who actually represented James Earl Ray and uh, his family. I mean, it's, uh, there's no doubt, there is no doubt that MLK was absolutely assassinated, and it absolutely was not James Earl Ray. Um, And it's, yeah, it's one of those, one of those conversations that, uh, you know, I'm proud to have brought that to people. And obviously, it's nothing to do with me. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm the, I'm now a conduit or a vessel for incredible information like that. And that's the way I view my work, is it really isn't about me. It's about this incredible information. And I know that if I'm really excited and motivated and like I, people have to know about this, then I know that will translate to uh, at least to my audience, if not the general public. <laughs> but why not the general public? Service to truth will definitely bring that same energy and passion to the general public uh, as you transmit it. And since you are such a conduit and you've had a lot more time in this game of uh, of looking up the truth about all the various lies that were fed from birth, what pieces of info would you say are key and maybe, uh, I guess, crucial for a person to wake up to the truth of the hidden new world order, for lack of a better phrase? Is there anything, because there's certain things that people will resist so, so intensely that it's like, 
um, you can't start there with them. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for other people who, because I, I know at least a few people that listen to my show, and I'm sure you have listeners that are the same, experience um, a lot of resistance from friends and family just ever trying to broach any of the topics that we're bringing up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's the uh, perennial question because there is no answer, really. Um, <laughs> the answer is it's different for every person. And Makes that's sense. not a satisfying answer, but it is the answer because everyone does have their issue. Um, there are people who will have issues like whatever it is, 9-11 or something, where they're just will not countenance the idea that there could be a conspiracy. And I was one of those people for the first five years. It wasn't until 2006 that I ever even considered the possibility that it could be anything other than what we told. I bought and read the 9-11 Commission Report wow. when it was first published. You know, when I was still, I, I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is the truth. This is it. <laughs> and uh, I remember, actually, I remember the reason I bought it was because uh, I was working at a school here in Japan where um, we got the Japan Times delivered every day. And I was reading through and they, they, they published, I think it was, I want to say the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, I don't know, uh, some book review of this book that came out when it was published. And they were saying, you know, it's just, it's such, it's, it's such, so well-written. It's, it's not like it's a government document. It's like the story of 9-11 and all this. And I, I was like all excited about it. Oh, really? And I read through it. And, oh, okay. and so I thought I knew 9-11 until I actually started researching for myself rather than just taking this for it. So yeah, um, now I forget what the question was, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> I seem to relate to it. Yeah, what 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 are some key? Oh uh, right, yeah, yeah. So there are people, info. yeah. So there are people who have their roadblocks, their mental blocks against certain information, like nine eleven or whatever, like I did for for years. But everyone has that issue. That's the one that'll be the needle that gets into their brain, and from there it starts to. Open so it's really out. important to just plant seeds wherever you can, and I think so. I mean, here's here's what I think. It's and you could analogize it to uh, you know how do you how do you get a girl or something. I mean, the guy who's so needy and oh you've got to love me and oh uh, you know you're the only one in the world for me and all of this comes off as clingy and needy. It's just gross. I mean, no one likes that. And you're probably not going to get the girl that way. You have to, I mean, you have to approach it in the sense, in a sense of confidence in who you are and what you believe. And this is it. And this is what I've researched. And this is what I know. If you've got something that will contradict that, I'm all ears. But, you know, and, and that's the way I approach interactions with other people. I don't proselytize in my day-to-day -day life here. I'm not out there trying to convince everyone I meet about everything, but I'll say what I believe and I'll, you know, if they want to get into it, I'll get into it. But I, I just don't, I don't, I'm not into the big preachy sort of way of approaching this because I don't think that's effective, at least not one-on-one. -on -one. And I get in group dynamics and when you're out doing, you know, protests on the street or that kind of thing, it's going to be a different thing. But when you're actually trying to reach an individual human being, you have to talk to that human being as a human being. And you have to actually talk to them, not just talk at them, not just say, I know this. And if you don't know it, you're stupid. You have to really listen to what they're, they're saying and respond to that in a meaningful way. Um, you do have to respect the uh, you have to respect another person's viewpoint because most likely there's at least a shred of truth in in most viewpoints. Not all. That's right. Exactly. And I mean, yeah. Let's have some epistemological humility. Uh, yeah. If there's anything that I've learned 
from my experience of going from, you know, in 2005, believing this to 2006 going, oh, everything I've been told about 9-11 is a lie. If, if there's anything I can learn from that experience, it's that there are massive things out there that I don't even know that I don't know about yet. And they could hit me like a truck, Mack truck tomorrow. And everyone, myself and yourself and everyone listening should have that mindset, should have that understanding. And of course, we can't live our lives, our day-to-day, moment-to-moment lives, thinking, I know nothing, and then, you know, everything, you know, I could, you know, eating bread could kill me tomorrow, so I better not eat bread. I mean, we can't live our lives that way. We have to live our lives believing that we know what we know, but we should, at least in interactions with other people, have that humility, that we don't know everything, and that we might actually learn something. And that's another thing. I mean, again, there are people out there in the alt-media land who, who will not even look at arguments against what they think they think they know yeah. about 9-11 or whatever. But to me, that's, that's, that's not just stupidity, that's actually counterproductive. I want to know the best arguments for the people who believe the official 9-11 conspiracy theory so I can more effectively combat it. And, and if I can, oh, okay, so they, yeah, they're pointing out this fact, so, oh, okay, well, then I can point out that fact. And that was actually one of my favorite comments on my Federal Reserve documentary, is there was, I remember I that there was someone... Too. There was, yeah, there was someone in the comment section saying, uh, you know, what, what is this? Is this, this is a lot of stuff from the Federal Reserve. It's like you're just <laughs> quoting them. I'm like, yes, that's the point. I am quoting them. I'm using their own words to show what they are rather than, you know, the secret super conspiracy thing. What are they making up off the top of my head? No, this is what they actually say about what they do. And that should concern you. <laughs> yeah, that combined with the, uh, the well done editing, those type of movies, I think would make a really good point to people who are trying to uh who you're trying to wake up to the control structures that are going on i we do have actually pretty similar backgrounds because i was a uh, literature and creative writing and film studies on an analy- analytical level um those were my emphasis areas in college and having that ability to analyze things through different formalist viewpoints well, um you know and that that's something that you would do in that type of a major. And you also then gain the ability to look at things from many different perspectives without having to take on that perspective as your own. You're just able to change, almost like put yourself uh, aside and just be in that, literally be that type of thinking for a little bit and give it as much open-minded thought as possible without having to be stuck in it either. And I think I do think that's important because ultimately we want to get to the bottom of things. We don't want to defend one side or the other of an argument just because that's the side we've been on. Right. No, exactly. And, and yeah, a lot of this comes back to just basic understanding of how to construct an argument and how to, how to see that through and how to, I mean, everything I know about how to make a documentary or make a podcast really comes back to how to write an essay. I mean, it's the same idea. It's just now you translate it into a different medium. Um, And now you, you know, it might involve a visual vocabulary rather than a merely audio one or literary one, but it's the same principles and uh, it served me well. So I I remember, you know, that was one of the things they used to tell English uh, majors back in my day was to to make them feel a little bit better is that, well, you know, if you, if you're a good English major and you can write a good essay, you really are employable in almost any field. (laughs) And I'm like, well, actually that is kind of true. If you're good at writing an essay, you really do know how to construct an argument and support it with evidence and make sure everything coheres and all of that. That really is a genuinely useful tool in communication, certainly. My job has been 
and all kinds of my jobs outside of this, you know, my Babylon job, I guess all kinds of different tasks get thrown my way just because, yeah, you can analyze something, do the research necessary, and then execute the best possible argument out of what you learn. And it's kind of a, it's the, you've heard of the trivium before? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of just like the, the, we actually got the trivium in our uh, education. Luckily, not quite everybody even gets that. Um, some, even some scientific or medical uh, back educations are really just uh, procedural education, you know, not even critical thinking education. And that leads to, you know, of, of which you're aware, many problems in our um, society infrastructure. I kind of want to switch gears, though, real quick. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask maybe a big question, but what is, what is your current cosmological conception of life, the universe, and everything? <laughs> Give me your best shot at that one. I love wow. to hit people. I with wish that. I knew. Yeah, I wish I knew how to even begin constructing an answer to that. So uh, I, uh, again, it's it's difficult to even comprehend such a question. So let me just say that I am. Um, I am not a materialist in the sense that I do not think that the universe is composed solely of things we can cut and measure and put in a test tube. There is some element of something that is not quantifiable in that way that is still important. Uh, and as a philosophy minor back in my university days, I'm going to pull on my vague memory of uh, Heidegger's essay, the, que uh, the question concerning technology, <laughs> I'm pulling that one out of a hat, so I might not have that reference right. But um, uh, he was talking about the, uh, the construction of the world, our conception of the world, as standing reserve. The idea that when you start, it's the old adage, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If all we have is ways of trying to measure and quantify and, and categorize things in a scientific taxonomical sense, then everything just becomes that stuff that we have to, in some way, use and, and generally use for a specific, you know, industrial purpose or something. And that's, that's our, the way we see the world. That's the way we frame the world. So that's what the world is. And that's how we interact with it. And that's what comes out of it. Um, I leave room in my metaphysics for some, the, the other side of that, the, uh, the ineffable quality of whatever it is, spirit or whatever, imbued right. with whatever religious connotations or, or lack thereof, but at any rate, something that is not simply the molecules and atoms and quarks and whatever that make up the material stuff of the universe. There's something more out there. And I don't know if that really goes towards answering your question, but I, I think it's important for me as to some degree of motivation for why I do this. I mean, if I was just, if I considered myself a biological robot in a meaningless atomistic universe, why would I be doing this? I would just, you know, then, then the only, for me, the only philosophical viewpoint would be hedonism. Why, you know, just live, live a life as fun as you can and get drunk and party all the time. And who cares about anything? Cause it's all meaningless. Clearly I, I and whether this is from a Nietzschean perspective, like we create our own meaning, or whether there is uh, some meaning out there that we're searching for, either way, I think it's uh, important for my own self-motivation as to why I do what I do, because I genuinely do care about human spirit, whatever it is, humanity, um, which to some extent I think is 
an experiment of sorts that's going on right now. And I have no idea what way that experiment is going to turn out. Maybe it will go into some transhuman future where an elite few will control the technology that controls the rest of us like puppets and AI will take over the world or when the human experiment will end. Or maybe we will you know, overcome the psychopaths that rule over us at this current historical moment and truly live up to our potential and start, you know, exploring the universe uh, together, as I think is our real destiny. But either way, I'm in this game to try to steer it in in the direction that I want rather than to uh, just sit there passively and let it happen because what does it matter? It's just a clockwork universe. That was actually a really fantastic answer. You pretty much nailed it because... There's no way to answer what the cosmos really is. It's pretty obvious that something, whether it's spirit or consciousness, has some sort of immaterial effect on the material universe. You can see it through historical synchronicity or personal synchronicity in your own life, or just think about the damn improbability of all the coincidences that led to this present moment with all these present things. And yeah, on a, in, even neuroplasticity. I mean, you can literally yeah. see it in the brain. Your the way you think can change the structure of your brain in a quantifiable, measurable way. Take that, you materialists. <laughs> yeah, I say that in regards to meditation all the time. You can literally change. You can make your brain stronger. It's brain working out. Um, but the other thing about what you said that I feel is so dramatically important, and is probably what the aspect that's really missing from a. Um, allowing people to uh, be like, maybe brave enough to let go of conditioned and attached poisonous worldviews and start also speaking, sharing, and searching for truth uh, is that you actually said you care about humanity. You care about things getting better. You, and really, that's what has been stripped out of us, at least in my personal experience, the, the various types of trauma that I've had to overcome, which are mild to say it lightly, just very mild compared to many people. But even still, cultural trauma is a real thing, especially from childhood. And it's taken me years to just heal enough to be able to feel some basic levels of empathy and then get to maybe some moderate to advanced levels of empathy. So uh, I think trying to find a way to tap into what people care, actually care about would be a good way to motivate them to start looking into truth. But the problem is the bad guys, the psychopaths, as you so accurately describe them, are doing the same thing with the false flag operations and making you sad about uh, kitties. That's it. I mean, at base, there's almost something, I don't want to say positive, but almost something, something good about that is that the psychopaths have to play on our human empathies and our emotions and the fact that we do care about each other. We actually do. The vast majority of people really do care and are, uh, you know, uh, we all have our foibles and our, our bad points, but at the end of the day, we are human beings trying to help each other out for the most part and trying to live a good life. And they have to play on that. So they create these situations where you see the boy in the back of the, the, the ambulance in Syria and you go, this is terrible. I feel bad for that boy. As you should, as a human being, you should feel bad for to see that child in this war zone. And it's crazy. But of course, you know, it's all manipulation. And what do they show? And what do they don't show? And what's the backstory? And oh, did you actually interview this boy? Because he actually is a supporter of Assad. That kind of goes against your narrative. And there's all the, see, it's all the crap that's, that's piled on top of that and behind that, that they hope you never look into. And 
Unfortunately, a lot of people don't because they don't have time or because they're trusting or whatever. But, uh, you know, so it's always a thing. But, but again, at base, it's, it's our best urges and instincts that they have to manipulate to try to, they try to do a jujitsu move. Oh yeah, you care about other people? Well, care about this boy enough to allow us to bomb Syria. And then, you know, exactly like Libya, you care about the Libyan people and they're trying to overthrow this horrible dictator, right? So let's go in with our love bombs. And now six, seven years later, there's, you know, open slave markets in Libya and everything. And it's like, Libya, who's Libya? What? Uh, we don't care. But uh, again, the, the, the hopeful part of that is we still, the average people still do have those good instincts and good um, empathies and emotions right. and we do care. And that is ultimately, once we show, uh, but they're lying to you, they don't care, they're using you, people will start to understand that it's a game and that they are being gamed by people who do not share those empathies and emotions. And uh, once we truly understand that and truly wake up to how the system is run and who it's run by, then I, I just, I mean, it will collapse under its own weight. I think it's inevitable. I think they're like, I think for the most part, these uh, psychopathic people do that they do actually kind of want to be caught like that classic serial killer motif um i for, i'll give an example i was in the path of totality for the recent american eclipse and the region i was at around st louis was i've heard was the region where the totality lasted the longest so there was an enormous amount of people congregating in this region to look up at the sky and during the before the totality, there were chemtrails like I've never seen before where they were literally circling, circling the festival grounds, not even doing a crisscross pattern, but flying in circles where it was obvious that the plane was flying in a circle. And why would it be flying in a circle? It's not taking passengers somewhere in a circle. What are those clouds? And anyway, um, the, during the totality, right at the end of the eclipse, as the light was coming back out from behind the sun, a plane flew directly in front of the sun and crossed the light as it came out from behind the moon. Uh, and there were pink, giant pink clouds that stayed in the air after that. And I talked to several people who were right there looking up at the sky during the entire eclipse. And they're like, what plane? I didn't see a plane. And I'm just like, what? And some pe a couple people did. I even have a photograph of it. So there's, there's yeah. evidence, but that's mm. just like, that's how deep the mind control is that they're con that you're conditioned to yeah. ignore the, truth even when it's right in front of your very eyes it's it's pretty i'm not saying that yeah. to be like discouraged but you know um yeah well it's cognitive dissonance yeah. and again i mean the human is the most studied animal of all the species people don't really in their day-to-day -day lives don't think about how much research has been done on things like cognitive dissonance and uh, biases and how we can be manipulated in various ways. I mean, a hundred plus years ago, it was Pavlov with the, the dog, not just ringing a bell, by the way, electric shocks and all sorts of other things. He may never have actually rung a bell. That's the, you know, but it gets embedded in the public popular consciousness that way. But then that kind of turns into Dewey and Skinner and these people, you know, figuring out how to make pigeons do counterclockwise circles in order to get food pellets and things. Uh, do you really think they're doing this in order to better train dogs and pigeons? No, uh, clearly it's all aimed about humans. And that's, uh, of course, go back and read Skinner and Walden too, his novel about creating a perfect community where, you know, babies are again, trained from birth about how to do certain things like they're pigeons, like they're dogs. Because again, that's the psychopathic mentality. These are just objects 
that you want to do certain things and this is how you do it. You train it this way and it will do this. Um, rather than treating humans as humans, as ends unto themselves, not means to an end. Yeah, um, and it, it comes down to the question of why, which is what you were uh, touching uh, on earlier. Um, the, why, why are we being conditioned in these ways and why do psychopaths even genetically seem to exist amongst the human population? Um, I know the majority of people that you would call psychopaths are probably secondary psychopaths as in they weren't born that way, but through trauma and conditioning, they themselves became psychopaths and theoretically that's healable. Um, and I'm a person that does not condone violence in any way, shape or form, but I do often wonder the question Ultimately, what is to be done about the, you know, genetic primary psychopaths and how they're able to not only influence positions of power in our world, but actually they are the ones responsible for creating the systems to begin with. And yeah. they are the only ones populating those positions. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a number of things there. Um, but I think psychopathy is not the only thing uh, they're not the only aspect to the, uh, the, the ruling class. I think there is psychopathy, but I think there's on top of that a certain personality, set of personality traits that when combined with the psychopathy, give that urge to rule and power and, and to subordinate others. I don't think all psychopaths are like that. There are functional psychopaths in society that live relatively normal lives as generally as surgeons and things like that tend to be psychopaths, interestingly. Um, <laughs> for reasons you could understand. I could not do that. I, I would get squeamish. I couldn't imagine cutting someone open and tearing out parts of them. But hey, I mean, if you uh, have that, uh, maybe it's, an ad maybe it's a, a useful adaptation for people in that line of work, right? Um, but there's, there is a certain confluence of personality traits, the dark triad and all of that, that when combined with psychopathy can lead to the, the, the people who get into the positions of power to cr cruelly dominate other human beings. And so it is a question, what do you do with those, that subset of psychopaths who are like that? Because clearly they are predators preying on the human species. Um, but do they have fundamental human rights as well? Or should we just, you know, lock them all in a cage or sterilize them or kill them? You know, I mean, hmm. uh, that, 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 that goes, that speaks to the very heart of how much do you really believe in freedom as a human right and principle and all of that? Um, but the other, I think the other thing to keep in mind with all of this, um, when we talk about this psychopathic class and the things that they do, um, I think we have to, again, it's a question. The, the, the point is that as bad as a horrible evil psychopath with the intent to harm others is, how much worse are they when they have positions of power from which they can launch attacks on entire nations? They can destroy millions of people. That is really the scary part of this. Um, on the individual level, of course, you can have serial killers and that sort of thing that might kill five or 10 or 20 people. But not millions of people. That can only be done when you centralize power to right. that extent. And so I think the real solution to the extent there is a solution to this is decentralization, getting power of that sort out of the hands of any individual or small clique of individuals. And that might have been a pipe dream 
100 or 200 years ago, you know, oh, you know, civilization, we need this kind of level of control. I, I don't really believe that. But even if that was true, it isn't today. We really can decentralize everything today. It's amazing right. to me to think how the, uh, the prime sort of economic, social, political conflict of the 19th century between, you know, the, the socialists, the, the, the Marxists, the communists, and the people on the other side of that spectrum was about the idea of the, the access, the control of the means of production. And it was, all, it was all in this 19th century industrial revolution aspect mindset where it's all about, you know, who, who owns the factories that produce the goods and things. Yeah, okay, I get it from the industrial era. That, that, was, that was the way they saw the world. But we are literally in the age where that industrial era mindset and that organization of society is already being let alone could be much further decentralized to the uh, the means of production for me physically i'm holding it in my hand it's my computer i right. physically this is my means of production and why do we have to have these gigantic systems of control to argue we need you know national socialism and we you know the, the nation state and blood and soil and we need them to control the means of production no we need international socialism we need you know to control everything and then everyone will live equally and happily no, no, just let me be a human being by myself and I will interact with other people around me because I care and love and want to interact in communities of interest with people that I want to get along with. Just let me be that and do that. And we can do that because it has been decentralized. It is being decentralized. 3D printing and all of that kind of technology as, as, as basic as it is today, 10, 20, 30 years from now is going to be incredible unbelievable amazing is going to be decentralizing the industrial processes that hitherto have meant factories and all of that it's going to be on your desktop we're going to be creating goods on your desktop that you can design yourself or you can buy a design from someone if you like it or whatever but you're going to be physically making it there on your desktop we do not need the big systems of control anymore so decentralization isn't just a a kind of oh wouldn't it be nice to get away from these second like bus no it's it's where we are already heading uh, I'm not even sure whether me talking about it is going to make it, you know, any more real or is going to make it happen any more faster, but it is happening and we should be aware of this. And, and again, I, of course, the psychopaths don't want to lose those centralized control. So, of course, they're going to try to control every aspect of this decentralization. So, you'll get the, you know, the 3D printers will be strong-armed to put in DRM technology directly into their 3D printers. So, <laughs> oh, you're trying to print a, a shoe that looks like a, you know, Converse sneaker. No, no, no. That's illegal. That's intellectual, intellectual property. property. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thought crime, thought crime. No. Or, or, of course, you know, the 3D printed guns or whatever. No, no, no. That's you can't do that. So, of course, they're going to try to control this. But we know it's possible. It's already happening. We can push it through to the end. And that end is decentralization, where we can live as free human beings, voluntarily interacting or not interacting with those that we want to or not want to. And that, that's, that's the real revolution. The mind control net can't really be put back over somebody that's gotten out of it either. And all that they tend to do is... Um, wake up other people to the value of human freedom, which is infinite, the, the value of a human being, which is infinite. And I think if we together are able to embody the simple principles of just do no harm to one another and <laughs> try to make our lives better, however we feel is the priority to do so that does no harm, 
I think that will also include no longer taking orders from or giving any power to dominators, which will naturally turn the power tide back into the hands of the people over a course of time. I think that it's basically an inevitable decentralization, whether it's because we're transitioning through some yuga or because this is just the direction that evolution is taking us. It doesn't really matter. It seems like it's happening. And uh, I do think that it does a lot of good, though, for uh, people like yourself to be out there speaking um, about what they find important and what they see as being suppressed because it does speed up the process and hopefully even save many people quite a great deal of suffering because the sooner that you realize that what you've been taught is wrong and that no, you can't drink Pepsi three cans a day and expect to be okay or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, the better. And the sooner we, we all collectively start taking those decentralization actions into our own hands, like growing our own gardens. That's a really big one. Um, then the sooner that we will no longer be dependent on the money slavery and supporting the wars through that money. So um, we're right about at the time that I wanted to let you off of here because I know you're an extremely busy man. If you have any closing remarks, I would love to hear them. And also really grateful to have you uh, in this conversation, James. I had a lot of fun. It flew by for me and I recommend everybody check out the links in the episode notes to find CorbettReport.com. Uh, ett report.com well thank you for having me on i do appreciate the conversation i think this is a nice uh, hopeful message to leave things on that we are heading towards this uh, state of decentralization and hopefully there's no way that it can be derailed but uh you know uh, hope and uh it can be slowed down but it you. can't be stopped there you go. Um, there you go. So let's keep pushing it forward. Anyway, I think it does require our conscious intention because if we're acting unconsciously in the world and just letting it happen to us, then I don't think things are going to work in our, our favor. Um, we have to be conscious actors and realize we are actors in the world. We're not spectators. This is not a spectator sport. You are creating your world and uh, you've got to do your part. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's what is the message I'm trying to spread. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about all of us trying to take this and doing what we can in our own lives with it. And uh, I'll leave that up to you how you're going to do that. Beautiful, my friend. Yeah, it's up to all of us because really it's whatever you can imagine that you can do that no one else could think of. That's the thing that you should be doing. Whether it's, it could be simple. You could go paint some positive messages on a rock and leave it in the park for somebody to stumble across uh, the perfect moment. I mean, whatever is your idea, whatever sparks your creativity and whatever is um, expressing the truth that we're one human family and that unconditional love and uh, freedom are hand in hand with the future that we are heading towards. So, all right, I'll, I'll let you go, James. Thanks for the talk. All right. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, that was an awesome conversation, wasn't it? I am really glad that you made it all the way to the end here. One more reminder that you can find all the links to things we talked about on the episode notes or by checking out interversepodcast.com. There's also a shop online on my website now if you're interested in getting an art print, which is also a reward you can get by being a subscriber on Patreon. Then go there, check out either the store or subscribe on Patreon. And on the subject of Patreon, it's also time for the August patron shout outs for everybody that's $5 and up as a subscriber. 
And all these people have been subscribers for a pretty long time. Some of them the whole time. I love all of you guys. And I'm going to run through the names right now. And then that'll be it. August is over. At least no more podcasts for August. Wow. Well, anyway, thanks to everybody for listening. And a special thanks to my $5 and up patrons. My dad, Tim Garten. Jeff Severson. Beth Naturno. Blake Sewells. Elise Myers. Chris Abert. Apple Annie, Steven Singer, my lovely mother, Kathy Garten, Hannah Durkee, and Peter Merrick. That's it for the shout-outs, and I'll talk to everybody next week. Thanks for listening. Please share the show. I love you very much, and I hope you're really happy. Okay, bye.